0: Most of you see this and see junk just one car call RLS tell them to bring a dumpster now Brian who was on the front row this morning sees it has money a lot of metal here scrappers go nuts over this y'all by the way I didn't know they had a TV show like that don't they we don't have TV or cable or nothing not one channel at our house we got a DVD player and a VCR player and uh Uh, feel free to give me your old kids' videos, just for the kids. And my wife's trying to watch every JAG episode ever known to man. And uh, me, I take whatever comes my way. But uh, we don't have TV, so while I was on vacation, I was trying to catch up on, wow, TV. TV offers a lot, you know that? If you like TV, go without it for a month and find out. But they got a show called Scrappers or something like that, where guys scrap metal, man. It's like, wow, it's just cute. Who? American Pickers, yeah, yeah, something like that. And uh, um, I know there's a TV show on hoarding. I, I didn't know that. I'll tell you where I got hoarding, 6, 10 a.m. I listened to that on the way home, John Corby, and on the way home from work. And they always give interesting hoarding um, stories. So I thought about uh, something that, so with raising a child in in, in a culture that is very consumer-minded, vary how we dress, how we look, where we live, what we drive, what we spend on. Some of us feel guilty if we tell somebody, no, we can't go out to eat because we're trying to save money. It's terrible. To me, it's terrible. Y'all can maybe handle it. In my life, personally, I can't deal with all that. I just can't take in that much. I'm like a I'm like, need as few things as possible. Be real good at a few things. I can't handle all the rest of that business. But as a guy who has been a hoarder, and even in our marriage somewhat, haven't we? Not terrible. We're not terrible. Don't get me wrong. But I came into the marriage, make a long story short, with some debt that I should have never had due to the lusts of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life, the Bible says, and stuff we dealt with for years. And um, now I'm trying to, Cut down to live as simple as possible, and to, and to come over here and find that the only true happiness I find in life is in God's word. The only true happiness I find, the only thing that makes me happy is when God uses me and I know he uses me. When I know that somebody, I hear of somebody that has a need and either physically working, I can meet that need financially out of my pocket. I can meet that need spiritually, which I definitely lack. It has to be God. If it's spiritual, something spiritual that I can help anybody with, I'll be honest, because I don't have a I need help in areas. I need to be more like Christ in a lot of areas. I don't know about you. but uh, uh, So trying to go from that guy over there to this guy and to teach my son that 2 Peter 1 through 11 gives us all things that pertain to life and to godliness. 2 Peter teaches this. It didn't teach you to come over here and start over here. When God called the disciples, he said, you're going to be my followers Just leave everything behind. Don't take nothing with you. Take one coat. Give away. If you got two, give one away. Take as little as possible. Don't you worry about what you're going to eat, where you're going to sleep. Oh, that was a different day and age, Patrick. Them fishermen didn't have to give up their commercial fishing job. He said, this wasn't an easy message. I hated it, first service. I would have crawled. I would have... If I'd have fell over with chest pain, probably would have been all right, I guess, because it's not an easy message. It's just not. And I'm not here to put anybody down. Can I tell you that? not here to do that. I'm in the same boat y'all are in. I've got a few little things that God's given me, and I'm trying to figure out what he wants me to do with them. I've got some gifts, you know, construction gifts, music gifts. Uh, I've got dreams. I've got things that prick my heart that I would like to work in. Hopefully, you've got that. Hopefully, you, and you know what? God bless you. You may not have that. Why? Because we live in a culture that inundates us with stuff so much. You don't have time to think about God. You don't have time to study your Bible. You just don't have time for it. If you've got two TV shows you like and any kind of children, when you get home from work, hey, it's zapped, buddy. Your whole evening's zapped. I don't know about you, but it is. I had to be up till after 1130 last night, weren't we? Working on some things. Many nights I stay up late trying to get a little bit in the Word. And, and things are work. Things are tough. We live in a culture where things are tough. We live in a culture, men, where we see so many pictures, visual pictures of a woman. Then when we get home, she don't look like that. Or we, we live in a... I, I work in a culture where I hear so many stories of other women besides their wife, or, and I can't get away from it. We're in a small room working together. I can't tell them to shut up. Or I go in porta johns where they all think they're graffiti artists, or gangsters, or something with their little black sharpies, and it's just where they take pictures up in in the porta john. Can't get rid of it. My, there's so much my wife don't even know that I would just. For me to not cuss makes me St. Pete. I swear it does. Because I live in such, I work in such a, and many of, you know, many of you men know this. You work in such a vile culture. And we come home, or we come to our mauve colored pews and we sit here today and pretend that we're all godly and perfect. But we are swamped by this culture and what this world stinking offers. It would behoove some of us, if I could use that word, to blow our TVs up to get our shotguns out and blast them, put them in a the driveway and roll them over, something. So here I am, a dad. Used to be like ass this, having two little boys, trying to raise my little boys as godly little boys and trying to get them over into here. That, hey, Samuel, this is all that matters, buddy. I'm here to tell you, I can buy you all the helicopters, planes, and stuff that you want. And I see it in him at four years old as I see it in myself. We sit at the fair. Caleb and Samuel took him to the track truck tractor pulls set right here me and lee and rick little boy sitting out in front of them didn't have a bag of cotton candy like it's gonna kill the kids not to have any anyhow you know what i mean that my kids probably samuel and caleb probably didn't need it anyways i probably should have went and got them some of that fresh fruit at the fresh fruit stand okay but it was a fair you know and we only got it once a year let's splurge pray over our teeth that they don't rot but <laughs> it's my job as a father as a godly father to teach my son what's best that I've got the money to buy him cotton candy or caramel apple when he wants it? No, that little boy right up there, two, rose, two little bleachers in front of him, didn't have any. That little boy kept turning around and looking over his shoulder at Samuel and Caleb eating that cotton candy. Been real easy for me, real easy, to pull my money out and give it. go buy that little boy a bag of candy and give it to him. And believe me, that's the easy thing. That's what I would have loved to have done. But as I sat there, I said, oh, there's a lesson to learn here. There's a lesson to learn. I just felt like I either had a lesson in on the inside of me or God was telling me. I said, Samuel, that cotton candy's good, isn't it? He said, yeah. I said, would you share it with some little boy that didn't have it? If you know Samuel, you know he's quiet, you know he's shy, but he's not going to do that. He wants to. And he goes, why, Daddy? Who doesn't have any. I said, that little boy right there don't have any cotton candy. He don't even have something to drink. He don't look like me. He keeps turning around looking at you. Samuel looks at him. He took candy. Samuel and Caleb gets involved. Samuel goes, Caleb, take this cotton candy down there and give that little boy. <laughs> Caleb says, "Huh? uh I'm not doing it. So two little boys are learning a great lesson here. Just, Samuel keep looking. I said, buddy, I know it's in your heart to give it to him, ain't it? I said, take it and give it to him. Samuel, in life, I can't always do things for you. In life, you're going to want to do things. You're going to have to do it. Samuel couldn't finish a bag of candy. They handed it to me. and said it was done. Wouldn't give it to the little boy. We walked away and that little boy didn't have cotton candy that day. Normally, I would have thrown the wallet at him. Two little boys, you know, I seen two little boys in Speedway one day trying to scratch up enough money to buy a pop, share a candy bar. Little kids up there at Bridge in Maine. Kids walked in there from some neighborhood, you know, dirty little kids. Just cute as heck. Boys. Try to scrounge up enough to get fountain pops, they're cheaper, candy bar. And that guy looked at him, told him he's short. I kind of stood back. If you know me, if you know one of the struggles I have, I could just flat speak my mind in a minute and tell you. I thought, man, that guy's not gonna let them kids have it. My goodness. I thought, I'll just shirt collar that guy. I would get him by the shirt collar and ask him if he never had anything in his life. I just took a $5 bill, throw it up there. I said, give the kids rest. Not bragging on me, but I'm just saying. So it was hard for me that day to walk away from the fair to watch that little boy. But what a lesson I would teach my child is that we can have it all. And we can have plenty to give to others. Sometimes that's not always a fact. But this world inundates us with this. It says said that the average American is $11,000 in credit card debt. Take 23 years to pay it back. Average American. I was there. Were we there, babe? We were there. Think about this. Buy $150,000. We're all here. We're all in this basket. So I'm speaking for myself. I've got a mortgage home, too. So I have a different one now than I used to have. Thank God for that. He brought me out at the right time. Bad economy. You hear people say, something's bad you're in a you're in a nobody wants to pay that much for this house let me tell you what if god's got a plan for you all hell can't stop it i bought a house in Massiville. i lived there for however many years we sold it and made fourteen thousand dollars on that house Massiville. and and you know what the nice thing was they told me after i bought a place there i'm not from around here i didn't know nothing about Massiville other than it had the right house the right garage everything was done and the money was right Somebody said, used to be seven bars down there. I said, there's only one I could find. Sounds like they all got saved and living right. (laughs) It's a hard place in real estate, they said. It's a hard place. Well, I'm not into real estate. I just wanted to want a house. But then when we wanted a different house, God sold it. Sell by owner, no realtor. We made even more money. Not bragging on us. I'm just telling you, if God's got, if you're in a spot, we sang one of the songs we sang today, uh, In the Good Times and Bad. That wasn't on our list. I just went to that song. I felt like I should go to that song today. He is God alone. In the good times and in the bad, he is God. Let me tell you, you'll find yourself in a spot where, where you're in a spot financially. Maybe you don't want to be. But if you change your heart, not your mind, your heart, for out of the heart flows the issues of life. The problem lies in here. It doesn't really lie in here. But if you change your heart, God's got a way to get you through what you're going through. I promise you. This stuff will never make you happy. Guarantee if I'd offered this away today, somebody, probably with somebody in this service or the, or the first service, service—would have took is. One of you old fellows would say, gosh, they don't even make them like that no more. I'm gonna get that thing and make it run. You know what I mean? But I, So you're either gonna, we live in a, in, a, in a day and age where we're hoarders. We just recently moved. I realized I had hoses that would stretch from here to Kenny Connect. Gave some of them away. I had two wheelbarrows. Gave them both away. I said they resemble work. I don't want nothing that looks like work. Had some concrete tools, and meager things that gave away. Concrete sprayers, gave away. Just gave some stuff away. We was moving, knew we was going to a smaller place, couldn't have it anymore. I thought, man, I wish I'd have thought this thing through. My wife kept trying to tell me for months, let's think it through and decide what we're doing with all this stuff, not me. i just like, ugh. But my wife's real organized. And um, would have gathered it all together, and sold it, made some money. Heard a story recently of a family. In the church, this kind of teaching going in a mega church here in the United States, five six thousand people. this kind of teaching has been going on for a while. They go home let's pick Rich and Lucinda. They felt pricked in their hearts, convicted in their hearts to do something went home. they had eight nine hundred dollars saved to redo their front lawn, old oh, re landscape. boy, how i 'd like to i 'd like to pour all new concrete, put pavers back in i 'd like to deck it out if I could i 'm a construction guy, but so rich and Lucinda had. Seven, $800 saved, redo their front lawn. She knew she had way too many clothes. He had way too many that he didn't wear no more. Kids were growing out of stuff. Felt pricked in their heart, went home, looked and seen all that they had. This is a true story. All they had in their house, what can I do, what can I do? They just started, heck with that new lawn, what's it matter anyhow? Took their clothes, drove over to the rough end of town. Went up, knocked on the door. Hi, we're so-and-so, we'd like to help people in the area, uh-huh. You need help with anything? Well, my kids haven't ate good this past week. Hand them $100. Go to the grocery. Walked up the street, seen those kids wearing little to nothing. Found their mom, whoever. Gave clothes away, kids' clothes away. Gave the dad's clothes away. Gave the mom's clothes away. Paid a car payment. Paid a water bill. Paid an electric bill. One evening. They had enough resource right in their house to help several families in an area. We are wealthy people. We are wealthy people. I'm not going to read all the scriptures I read last week or last this last service. Tell you another encouraging story. John Wesley, the great preacher John Wesley, you know him? You've heard of him. John Wesley's famous for his preaching, his salvation message. Let me tell you another thing he's not so famous for. It. And probably you may not have heard this. John Wesley Very wealthy man, had a lady working in his house as a maid, cook, clean. Leaving one evening, snowing, very cold outside. She had a thin linen dress on. He said, did you forget your coat before she left? No, didn't forget it. Don't have one. Oh, my gosh, he's immediately pricked at the heart. I'd like to give her a coat. Didn't have a lady's coat in the house, whatever. I don't know that part of it. Realized he didn't have the money to buy her one of his hired help some work a lady that worked part-time or whatever for him but realizing he looked on his walls and had more than enough things hanging on his walls that he had acquired over the year artwork pretty little danny things whatever probably not danny he's a man but that he had enough to more than fit that woman in a full wardrobe said god i make this amount of money and i don't even have the money to buy her a coat in that day and age to equivalent to us, he made about $160,000 a year. There are people today that make $160,000 a year that can't pull cash out of their pocket to buy a coat. It's just facts, just the way it is. Nothing against you if you are. I just pray for you and pray that God helps you. Uh, I used to be that way. We used to be that way where we didn't have money to buy. We'd just swipe a card and pay for it. Pray that somehow we paid that card down. Paid that card. John Wesley told the Lord, said, he, he, he confessed his financial and, and his heart in the matter that he wished he did, but he didn't have it because he decided that he was going to take $20,000 to learn to live on. This is in our money today. He took $20,000 to live on. Say, God, if you'll help me, the next year I'll give away $140,000 if I make that much. John Wesley lived off twenty thousand, gave away one hundred forty thousand. Story says that every year the amount of money he made grew and grew and grew, but he learned to live on a very meager salary. Why are you saying all this, Patrick? Why? Because I love you. It's something I'm going through personally. I'm not here to convict you that I've been in debt over my head, bad. That God has brought me to a place that is just miraculous. I mean miraculous. Not by an inheritance, by hard work, by buckling down, and by wanting a new LG TV, about 47 inches, but don't want to spend the money on it. By wanting a new A5 automatic Belgian-made Browning, that's about 25 years old, but I don't want to fork up 1000 $1,500 for it. By wanting a new truck, but I don't want to pay I don't have the money cashed by that, but don't want to pay $400 a month on a new truck. By wanting a nicer house that needs less work, they say, well, you just in that if I knew you right, and now you're out of it. By wanting that, but not wanting that mortgage. But when I find out that God uses me in ways to bless other people, and I find out being a traitor, is far more beneficial than not trying to teach that to others so today I'm not here there's no way here to make you feel guilty about what you have where you're at God blesses us with material possessions God blesses us with money God blesses us with educations God blesses us with a mind I tell my son Uh, the oldest one especially, he understands a little better. God has given you a brain, son. He's given you a mind and he's given you a heart to use for his glory, for nothing else. And in this life, you're gonna attain some stuff, but it's for his glory. When I came to Jesus, I had a backpack and a blanket. And I've been to the place where together we've made very good money a year. We've lived in, we built a new home, lived in a new home, beautiful is all I could have ever, I, I wouldn't have wanted anything different. Other than to pay somebody to clean it, I would have done that, but didn't have that much money. But the, the house, actually, physical house and the, and the setting and the view from the house, I've had it. I wouldn't want anything any different. But to know that none of that made me happy, that I had a conviction in my heart to live financially a different way, and God saw different. Got saved with nothing, and really, i be honest, I feel like I've had everything. I mean, sure, I haven't had... I've had the guns I wanted at one time and they got stolen. I think God was just saying, keep wanting, keep wanting. And anyway, so today I hope that you leave here today with a little bit of conviction in your heart. You go home and you look and see what you have. And you realize that being a missionary in a foreign land is not for people just called to that. It's to every one of us that name the name of Christ. The names the and name. I know right now, I know a young guy living in my mom's. My mom's owns she, her ministry has like a house there that's six bedrooms, and they they bring in uh, ladies, unwed ladies, and children, help them get on their feet, get healthy, pay for surgeries, uh, get education, send them on to college, some of them technical schools, get out and get them their own place. My mom has a ministry that does that. She's got a young guy that lives there that pastors the church that they have next to it. You know, every place like that, you just build on the next place. So he pastors the church. But he sleeps several. Last time I was there, he had a bed that was just the worst looking thing I ever saw in my life. It was a bunk bed. Him and his brother both stayed there. They're in their young, they were in their uh, mid-20s then, so they're probably 30 years old. But I, They never invited me in there. I snooped in there one day. I thought, I've got some money I want to spend. I want to help somebody. I want to help Darwin. I want to help his brother. So I snuck in there and seen what kind of mattress they were sleeping on. I took them out one day, asked them what would, if, if, they, if, if they could just do something for fun, what would they do? We rented motorcycles and rode motorcycles all over town, out in the country, area called Zungada, Coach. I'll never forget that. But we went out there and rode on some dirt roads. And while we were gone, I gave my translator, the translator lady, this money. So I want you to go buy them both good mattresses, two sets of sheets, and pillows. So there's just think people carrying out the gospel and and there's people that need help. There are people that need help. So today I hope you leave here and I hope you realize that, man, you know what? We really don't use this stuff. We really can make a difference. And let's do it. Let's quit talking about it. Jesus, when he called his disciples, he said, go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples. I said a second ago that being a missionary in foreign lands is not an option to us. It's not a calling. We have called it a calling. You, you Bible scholars, take your, go home this week and you, you find in the Bible to me to where he, they say that that's made for an elect, select few or that it's a calling. But can I tell you something? Some people are gifted for stuff like that, yes. But Jesus told his disciples, you'll be my followers, you'll go therefore into all the world and make disciples. Will all of us go? No, all of us will not. But all of us should have in our heart to make sure that that thing happens that it happens. Then when Sheila stands here and she's doing that work, I wouldn't want to go to Mexico for nothing. I don't know about you, but I'm just not that way. I'm kind of scared. I still try to hang on to my life. The Bible says, if you lose it, you'll find it. I, I have not totally lost my life in Christ yet. I mean, back when it wasn't all that drug Lord stuff going on, I probably would have went back when Mary and then went, but I, I don't think today I'm too much of a chicken. Uh, uh, <laughs> maybe, but I would go if God told me to go. But, uh, So let's read 2 Peter 1 through 11. I didn't start off last message this way. 2 Peter 1 through 11. Let's get back to a foundation, a basic. Let's get back to the day that we met Christ. Let's take a young couple or a a young man or woman in this congregation that just comes to the knowledge of Christ, and they come to uh, Pastor Aaron or they come to me or they come to their connection group leader and say, where do I go from here? What do I do from here? Most generally in life, when we raise our children, even in Christian homes, we teach them to get an education, to get out and get a job, and to get out on their own. But then yet we cry, we beg, and we scream as Christians that they, we pray they get back in church. I think statistics say something like 95% of them won't. Because we spend 18, is that right, Aaron? There was a, wasn't there a statistic that, uh, what's the guy gave? about the young kids that's always taught teens. Yeah, Josh McDowell was talking about that. There's a large percentage of kids that once they grow up and leave church, don't return back. But we, we, we spend, most generally, we spend teaching our kids an education, a job, home, a marriage. We as parents, and, and I was raised around Christian kids, let me say this. We as parents don't spend our time really teaching kids about their passion. Or what I say around my house, what gets your goose. What you love, what gets you. What if money was not an object that you would follow after, that you would wouldn't you need an alarm clock to get you up every morning and get you going. How many know that's a struggle? Especially I think I'm a man, so I speak from us men in general when we realized, oh, I hit 40 and 40 was harder than heck on me because I looked back and thought about things I wanted to do. Not the fact that I'm 40. I always liked going from 30, 40, 20, 30, 40, you know, sounded more mature. But then I've looked, some reason, 40 is like, man, I'm over halfway there and it's about over with. I didn't ride wheelies enough on a dirt bike or I didn't really give enough or I didn't go to different places as a missionary. You know, so I've kind of dealt with that looking back at past regrets. But we don't spend a lot of our time... Some of you may be an exception as a parent. We don't spend a lot of our time opening the Bible, looking into it and saying, kids, let me tell you, this is what's going to do it for you. This is the only thing that's going to bring a deep-seated happiness, fulfillment in your life. We just don't do it. We fall into the culture and what the culture teaches to go out in the American dream, to get an education, to get a job, blah, blah, blah. I fear more about how I'm going to supply financially. I do this to my family than I do what my relationship with Christ is. I mean, I'm in a change. I've been in a year, a couple year change of that, let me tell you. Because I've asked God to help me. I've realized that I'm wrong and I need help. Second Peter 1, 1 through 11. So we hope today that you'll just leave here. I didn't get this message across the first group better as this well. That you'll leave here looking at what you got. Coming over here to God's word and looking at how much you can give and what you can do. What about a 70-year-old couple that's came into retirement, realized their life was boring, convicted by teaching like this. They leave for five, six months at a time, four or five months at a time to go on the mission field to feed war-torn militant groups, hiding under cars while war is going on in Sudan, a man in his 70s sleeping under broken-down vehicles, trying to hide out and prepare a meal for men fighting in wars what about that ernie huh huh be an adventure you if you're bored there you got big problems don't you Uh, rambo ain't that brave Uh, but uh second peter 1 1 through 11 new christian just getting started what do i need what do i need to make it to live successful in this life let me tell you what to those who have obtained this is us today i'm speaking to To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see there, Simon Peter said he was a bond servant. Do you think the people of the Bible just like to speak extravagantly and use words that they wouldn't be held to? Do you think they were men in that day and age that just like to speak big flagrant words? I'm a bond servant, you know, bragging on themselves like we see a lot of people in this world doing? I don't think so. I think they Simon Peter really had a grasp on the fact that Christ had done it all for him, that nothing else mattered. You are all that matters. All that satisfies it's hard for me to lead worship at times when I know that I don't live the, exactly those words. And we're sinners. We're sinners, by golly, saved by grace, and I'm always going to have a sin issue, always. I'm not pure in the sight of God except for the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not here to say we're going to live a perfect life, but I'm going to here to say we need to li- live a life that's conscious, that we walk around with some spiritual smelling salts at all times and guarding against the world's things this world offers, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. That I think we need to have a little bit of smelling and, smell and salt spiritually and going, hey, I need to wake up to this thing. I don't have money to go out to Applebee's today, by golly. I went the other day and I realized why it's many years since I haven't been there. Uh, two grown ups, two little kids, kids' menu, 50 bucks. Beer's expensive. I'm, oh, oh. <laughs> I'm teasing, I'm teasing. If <laughs> you know I think Simon Peter knew that Christ was all. And could you imagine a new man on the scene, Jesus Christ, but because of a few teachings from the Pentateuch, maybe Simon Peter had at that time the first five books of the Bibles, all the man was taught from, if he was taught from the whole five books at all. And then Jesus comes on the scene, they trust in this guy so much to be the Savior, the anointed one, God's only son, that they sell out. And But now we've got all these years since Christ, Some 4,000 years since Christ. And we're thinking, and we've got all the history of it. We've got all the, and and still some of us have a hard time being able to totally call ourselves a bond servant. Paul the apostle knew that he was sold, that he was a slave to Christ, that he was a slave to mankind. Paul the apostle knew it. Romans 1, 14 and 15. Look at that. But Simon Peter, a bondservant. Then going down to verse 2 in 2 Peter 1. Grace and peace be multiplied. Grace and peace be multiplied. Not added, multiplied. You know, like when uh, uh, connection groups get so large, somebody's gotta say, man, just step up to the plate. Teach a little bit, break off here and go do that. We multiply, you know what I mean? Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord as his divine power I'd be telling this young couple, this young man, this young woman that just comes to know Christ. As his divine power has given to you all things that pertain to life and godliness. Just in God's divine power, we've been given all things that that pertain to life, this life. God has got the power to give to you all things you need in this life. Wow. You mean to tell me I don't have to drive in every day to work somewhere? You may not. You may not. You may have a passion on the inside of you that you've just not allowed God to really stink in. You've just not got to hold enough, enough if this was a Bible, smelling, spiritual smelling sauce to realize driving in here every day is not what God's got planned for you. I, I, I wished I had that faith. I wished I had it. I told a guy the other day, I kind of like to bring up questions. What would you do if you could do anything else besides this? One guy said, just fish every day. He asked me what I would do. I said, man... I was trying to ask them, just trying to spark conversation. I didn't really want to tell them myself, you know. Because, you know, you don't always tell your dreams out there. I told the guy there that, and, and I said, I just really think I could do a lot better in what I do here. I could affect mankind. I can make an impression. You know what he said? He said, you don't know the impression you're making here. He said, my wife knows when I work with you. My wife says she hates it when I work with them other guys. I, I listen, I could already preach at him, told him his sins, and I've seen how he's backslidden since he's come to work here to be a buddy-buddy and to fit into a place that makes good money. Thrown riotous parties that he wasn't throwing because he was a Christian trying to find his way in serving Christ until he come to work there and found out that most guys there to fit in. He's going to have to be some buddies. He's going to have to pick up golfing again. Offered to take some guys fishing because he catches fish. This guy can catch fish. He can catch it at City Park. It don't matter. Didn't shoot a didn't drink, picked that stuff back up. I mean, that stuff's just goofy. You know what I mean? I'm not here. He said, My wife tells me, You're working with that one guy again. Ain't he? he goes to church. Second day there, he was in tears. He said, I never dreamed it. I said, What? Well, he said, I got saved a year ago, but I ain't been going to church for a while. He said, "God sends me here, and they yoke." He said, and "They put me with you." I said, "What have I done? I haven't preached nothing to you." He said, "I just know." He said, "My gosh, I'd cry if I was not in front of a bunch of people." But anyways, so God's got a plan for your life. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, son, girl, daughter, all you need is His divine power. To think that we as Christians. Wake up every day in His divine power that God has this, just wanting to, just wanting to pour it out on, just wanting to, not for our consumption, but to shine to be His glory in this earth, by which have been given, wait a minute, no, no, as His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness to li- to live life and to live a Christian life through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises. That through these, you may be partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. Young man, young woman, getting, your, getting started in this faith walk with God. You've got all things through God, through divine power, through God. He's going to give you all things you need. Don't look nowhere else. Don't look at Macy's. Don't look at Elder Bearman's. I used to pay $50 for a tie back Rack eighty dollars for a dress shirt at back rack. Two hundred and twenty five dollars for a blazer. I used to pay it. it didn't bother me. That's ten years ago. Fifteen years ago. Young man, young woman, that's all you need. You wake up every day, you call upon his divine power. You find out what you want to do in life, what gets you, how you can help mankind. You call upon God's divine power, and he's got it right there. He's got what you need to live life, to live a godly life. He's got it. Because why? Because he's jerked you up out of sin and corruption through lust of this world. Don't go back to it. Don't. But I got saved and got sober. Realized I could make money, save, get a little money. And I fell back into the, to this lustful world. I fell back into this consumption type world, where at one time I had probably four hundred dollars in ties, but I had a big credit card bill too. Having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust, it hasn't changed since the day that Peter wrote this. Hasn't changed. It's gotten worse. Because now I hear that having internet on your phone, that they send you things on your phone wanting you to buy good deals at this place. I'm like, my gosh, I couldn't handle that. That thing, I'd run it over in a minute with the car. Guarantee you. I just can't, I just can't handle that kind of stuff. Some people can handle all that. I can't handle too many things at once. Verse 5, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence... Wouldn't you love if, you, if, if you, you, every day your Christian walk, you had that feeling of diligence that we have here at times, of passion, of tenacity? But this world just, it vies for us. The Bible teaches that there's a God of this world going back and forth, Satan, seeking whom he may devour. He does not let up, buddy. He may not get you to backslide, but if he can just get you lukewarm, that's fine with him. He'll take what he can get, keep you from helping somebody else along the way. Escape this world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence. Being adamant about it, having tenacity, having the backbone to do it. Add to your faith. Here we get started. I would pull these rocks out, but I won't do that. Adding to your faith virtue. Or moral excellence. Adding to your faith... As we go through these, I'm going to kind of give you, this is just my version of it. I've got two lines drawn here. I've got the, the things that teach us to add to our faith and the things that I see in this world. And I question myself, things that I should have as a Christian, do I see these things that I, the world has in, in, in contrast to it? Do I find myself falling into that? Having faith, the opposite of have, built on your faith. The opposite of faith in this world, unbelief or doubt. I've got, I don't know, how many people at work tell you I just don't know? How do you know your way? I, it doesn't matter where I've worked or if I've been on a job for a very long time. How do you know your way? And I don't preach in them, guys. I don't walk in there in the and announce that I'm a Christian. I don't ask for a moment of silence when we eat lunch together. I don't do any of that. I do nothing to throw, my, to throw the fact that I'm a Christian out there. I just try to just do it. it I've had everybody, how do you know your way is right? I said, well, I, I, I live by a book that we've been given. It's been handed down through the ages. That's been proven by so many different authors that's, uh, that scientists can prove that these people wrote it. And, and there's more in science that backs up what this book says than, than any other book in, in, in the world. I've tested it. I've done what it told me I could do. It's delivered me. It's brought me out of stuff. It's worked. I've seen it work personally in other people's lives. I've seen it make difference in communities. That's why I believe it works. I said, now, I asked one guy, I said, now, how do you know your way works? He said, well, it's just because just, I just don't believe that. I said, so you created all this. So then I come to you if I got any questions, and you're going to give them to me. If a new technology comes out, you've given the guys the mind to do that, right? Well, no. I believe it's some, but I don't believe it. I said, well, let me, let me know what standard you have, what foundation that you have that's been tested and tried, that gets us to a place that youth just thinks good or heaven or whatever. Well, I don't really have it. I said, then you've come up with something on your own. Then how can anybody trust in what you have? So you see in this world opposite of faith, you see unbelief or doubt. Had one guy tell me the other day, he was talking about me personally. Just when I got ready to trust in a preacher, he lets me down. We were invited to a cheese and wine taste at a place where there were gonna be some millionaires hanging out because we worked on their house. It was the owner of our company asked us to come work on his daughter's house they're throwing her a big shebang with a big cheese and wine taste I'd never been nothing like that in my life I would have felt as goofy as anything I would have known what to do I wouldn't have drank wine they paid all this money for it And uh, anyways and then I just told me I was getting laid off I said I'm going on vacation for a week and that week included that Saturday I was supposed to go to that with another guy at work and that guy is so backwards he needed me to go with him for him to be able to go and yeah what would you do? I went to vacation. Hadn't had a vacation in years. He ought to be man enough to stand on his own to go to the thing by himself anyways. But if he knew Christ, Christ wouldn't have given him the spirit of fear and he wouldn't be afraid to go and just be who he is in front of everybody. So anyways, the other thing it asked us, is said to build on top of your faith virtue. The first thing they start off with, moral excellence. Wow, that's tough. I, I don't have internet on my phone or whatever, but I guess these guys send... Just the craziest things over their phones to one another. They view websites. They huddle up on the job site when they can look at stuff. And they just know beyond a shadow. They don't wait for me to get to their little crowd to watch it. But you know he's not going to, get out of here, Pat. We're looking at something. We don't even want you to hear this. Okay, thank you. The exact opposite of, of virtue or having moral excellence and it's like crazy in this world today. Immorality and evil. Walk into a Portageon at a construction site, and you'll see it. I cannot believe that men would be so cowardice as to write the things they write about our management in the Portageons, or about other men. That is the most cowardice thing. And to walk up to him. Here's another virtue, to walk up to him. Hey, buddy, how you doing? What's up? What do you want, boss man? What do you want? I would never do that in my life. I would lose my job, and I would work four jobs if I have to before I would pander to somebody. I would just feel so guilty that God's ready to strike me dead at that moment and kill me if I talked bad about about a boss in one instance or wrote things on a whatever, and then the next minute loving him just to keep a job. I would never do that. We shouldn't either. This world's evil. It's immoral. The next thing to add to your virtue is to add knowledge. I mentioned Bible bowls, the church of Christ. I got a friend who's in the church of Christ and they have Bible bowls where they actually go and compete church against church about Bible questions. This man flat knows his Bible and he schools me because he's not for sure if I'm saved. He, he knows I've got Christ-like qualities. He knows it. And he's asked me sometimes, man, how do you know you're saved? And We talk it over, but boy, he'll flat throw the scripture at you. I heard a a thing the other day on WCDR. Some statistics say that evangelicals know actual less knowledge about their faith than some Muslims or Buddhists. What about giving account for anything that's on the inside of the Bible teaches us we ought to be able to give an account? Next one, add to your knowledge self-control. Oh, I want that new LG TV. I told you that. Just 47. I don't want nothing no bigger than that. It won't fit in my house. I want that. And I want the surround sound. I want all that. But, and we've got the And my wife wants a couch. I tell her, hey, I don't think this one's broke yet. This one ain't wore out. Well, we can bless somebody with it. Oh, yeah, we could. And you can find an excuse to get another one, too, if you're good at it. That TV's not broke, either. We don't even have cable or a local channel. So it'd be kind of crazy. We just watch it for the kids to have videos. My one son, I'm telling you, if we had TV, it would be total out of control. He won't leave that thing. It would be the babysitter. And it would keep me from playing games with my child. It would keep me from actually telling him a little Bible thing, to actually sit down and read Bible stories. He knew, he knew the book of Jonah before he could speak. He just knew that story. And some of you are fine with having all those things. I told you I'm not fine with all that. I can't. Vibe for all that. Self-control, lack of restraint. Next thing to add to self-control is to add perseverance, to add patient endurance. Sometimes I can endure. Sometimes I can look and say, man, this thing's been going on for 12 years. When's it going to end? Or this, I've been waiting on this for six months, but I don't do it with the right attitude or with... Uh, I can endure, but not patiently. And that's why the number one scripture I, I know, memorize, James 1 and 4. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire and wanting nothing. The opposite of perseverance or patient endurance is to give up and to be fed up. So many people in our workplaces either give up or they get fed up. I watch contractors know they can't meet a deadline, or not man enough to meet it, allow their guys to sit back and watch their companies lose money. Time after time after time. Drives me nuts. And I have no control. I just clean windows and sweep floors. But I used to run work to where my company made money. It either made money or it didn't, and I was at fault. The next thing to add to patience, to add to perseverance, is godliness. The opposite you see in this world of godliness is an antichrist spirit. Everything's fine. Whatever you think's fine. Just leave everybody alone. It's just going to work. That's just not true. I came out of a church that was a Pentecostal holiness church. Well, a lot of people don't like that word holiness. We think it's long dresses. You know, they go to your neck, to your knees. Don't cut your hair. I mean, I literally went. I even preached at a church one time where the women swore they never cut their hair. They just kept beehiving it up. I, and they didn't like it because I wore a striped shirt, I guarantee you. Dress shirt, long sleeve. They wore all white ones. Don't you wear khaki pants and a navy jacket. You better wear a matching suit. And I said, how, 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 how do you get by with the Bible saying that men look upon the outward appearance, but God looks upon his heart, man's heart? Holiness means setting apart. You've been set apart for purpose. We, the church, have been set apart for what? To make sure the needs of this world are met number one that people come to the knowledge of Christ number two that they're fed they're clothed add to godliness brotherly kindness the Bible says that that they will know us by our love our love towards one another my love towards you this is the area I lack if I could be just boldly Tim challenges us men Ernie does in men's group we're dishonest we just say it like it is don't we Ernie we've got a problem we just say it we don't my wife's always wondering what'd you talk about what'd you talk about (laughs) <laughs> i said you know so it's one of the areas i struggle in is brother kindness i don't always have that i think we're christians and we ought to be just near perfect and by golly if you're not i have a hard time dealing with you then i get to drive to work in the car and god goes oh, what about this i've been dealing with you about or this i've been doing and i begin to cry <laughs> i'm like yeah i'm wrong i admit i'm wrong Last is love, God has huge love for us. Verse 10, therefore brethren, be even more diligent. There he says that word diligent again. He told us to be diligent to add these things to our faith. Then he tells us again in verse 10, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and your election sure. If I could say this, Be very sure that you are saved by Christ. We know we are if we've asked forgiveness and we trust in him. But make for sure that the way we live, the things we do, are what he's called us to do. So that we go out in this world, if we have a lot of stuff, boats, guns, whatever, uh, trinkets hanging on your walls, ladies, 42 purses, 28 pairs of shoes, whatever. It would be more than 28 pairs of shoes if you had 42 purses. It would be like 69 pairs of shoes, 42 purses, just make sure that God's called you that, and for some reason, he's using that for his glory. Because everything that we have, God has given it to us to use for his glory. And I'm just here to tell you, if you think you find happiness in this by buying something else, by swiping another card, you're sadly mistaken. I would invite you to get on your hands and knees. Pick up 2 Peter 1.11. Pick up any part of the Bible. God will lead you, I guarantee you. And find out that what God has for you is far greater. Let me read you a quote from this guy, this book I'm reading. Challenge you to read this book. Challenge you to read it. I heard about it uh, back in the springtime. It was coming out uh, by David Platt. It's called Radical. It's a red book. Praises has it. It's online. I audioed it. Uh, It's called Radical. It is nothing less than radical. It's not an easy message like I give to you today. I didn't go through all the scriptures like I did first, uh, church. But I think you guys got a better message. But... uh, I was just scatterbrained, and nervous, first, first church. But he, he, he's not easy about it. This young guy pastors a mega church, mega church in Birmingham, Alabama. And this message burns in his heart. And he's come to the point where financially and just all around, he lives this message. Can you imagine? I kind of know a, of a mega church north of here in Columbus. I knew what that pastor up there made. I could just imagine what money these guys make if we're talking about money. And this is what kills me. In church, sometimes they want to not talk. I almost brought 5000 in cash today in the Bible and asked you which moves you more. If I was to hand you one of them, which would move you more? But you know, it's kind of a taboo to talk about money in church. I don't know why, because we love it. I love it. I wish I had more of it. Because God told me something earlier this year and I told babe, I believe God, me and my wife, wants to place resources in our hands. I don't, I don't mean just money. But I believe God wants to, Place resources in our hands to help somebody else. Do you know if we went through, us men went through and cleaned out our garages and we realized we had too many gas cans, too many water hoses, too many this, too many that. The next young couple that got married in this church would have a great jump start. It's as simple as that. I'm not asking you to go and empty your bank accounts, sell all that's on your walls. I'm talking you start with something simple and let like God allow to move on the inside of you so you realize, hey, I've got a heck of a lot more than I thought getting started in this thing. I thought I was just going to do a little bit, but you know what? God's asking something great of me, and you know what? It makes me feel happier to do this than it does to do this. It's the truth. Here's what, here's what this guy said, wrote this book, Radical. I dare you to go get it. I triple-double-dog dare you to go at it. Go get it and read it. If you don't like reading like me, audio it. Get up in the morning, drive an hour and a half to Dayton and drive an hour and a half back. You do that about, uh, I think, three trips, you'll have it read. Uh, I, he said this. I think sometimes, see if this is not the church. And I, here's what I told the first church. I'm in doing real great today. Here's what I told the first church. People say, people stand here and preach a message and say, hey, maybe really not for this church. I don't. I don't know if they're just too afraid to say it's really for you. I'm here to say this is for you. It's for me first. That's why it's coming from me, because I'm trying to live this thing. But it is for you, because that camera's not going out nationally across the world and going to everybody else. This is the only platform I've been given, so it is for you. Don't leave here today thinking it's for somebody else. It's for you. We, me and my wife went to preach at a church a couple years ago. A lady walked up and handed her a fur coat said, I just went shopping today, retired lady, you know, just wonderful, godly woman. I went shopping today, and this would look good on you. Tag's still on it. I said, I felt like saying, your husband got a gun he's wanting to get rid of or something? I'm a gun collector, but I did. Anyways. <laughs> Little old church way out in the middle of nowhere, maybe 20 people there that night, and a fur coat was given away. But anyways. He, David said this, the guy wrote this book. I think sometimes... Uh, Let me act like I'm saying this to you. I think sometimes we allow things of this world to crowd our lives because if we stop and study God's word, we would find that he requires more from us or that he invokes greater awe than we are ready to give him. We prefer to sit back guilty of it on Sunday you go to a foreign country and preach, they take notes. We prefer to sit back and enjoy our cliches. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Hey, that wasn't wrote for every church member. That was wrote to the church of Philippi because they had, were concerned with Paul the apostle and his needs in, in Paul's absence from the church. And they sent to Paul Probably words of encouragement, money. They sent needs to Paul. And Paul said, my God shall supply your needs. Our cliches. We sit back and enjoy our cliches and picture God as a father who might help us. When Second Peter 1.10 just said, it's at his divine power. It's sitting there waiting for us. I've got good scripture we'll read next week. It's awesome. It'll tell you to say all you got and he's going to bless you. But anyways. We prefer to sit back and this is not the last. We got two more Sundays this. We prefer to sit back and enjoy our cliches and picture God as a father who might help us. All the while ignoring the fact that he is a God who will judge us and might damn us. There is a Bama coming. There is a judgment seat coming. We will give an account for every deed done in our flesh. He's not going to damn us to hell. We've trusted in his son as our savior. But he's going to ask us. What I've placed in your hand, what have you done with it? That kills me. That burns me and that worries me. And especially when I'm a guy that lives off works, trying not to. But I don't think God's here to, it's not his desire that any should perish. That all come to life. Stand up, if you would. But we, we hit. I said earlier, we, we take a scripture like, go you therefore into all the world and preach the gospel, and we've made it into a calling for a certain few people, and it wasn't that. It was, or if you wanted to be my follower, you're going to have a concern for people in your neighborhood, in your city, in your state, and in the whole world. Six billion, 753 million, 400 some thousand people live in the world. 5% of them are Americans. So if you've got a heart to evangelize America, to missionaryize America, however you want to put it, you've got about 5% of God's heart. If it's for your city, you've got about less than one-tenth a percent here, one-millionth of a percent of Chillicothe, 30-some-thousand people of God's heart. One-third of the people call themselves Christians, so there's four and a half billion people not saved that are going to die and go to hell. If we don't reach them, 26,000 children die every day of starvation for less than a dollar. You could stop that. Simple as that. I just wouldn't eat that one order of McDonald's fries every day. I'd stop it. Are you a hoarder? Maybe today you could say you were a hoarder. You're going to stop, you're going to start in the little things. You're going to allow God to do what he wants with it. You're going to trade being that to being, you're going to go to be a trader. And be willing to trade all that you got for the glory of God. Let's pray. We'll dismiss. God, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for the ability to be able to stand here and preach and to, and to, thankful for all that you've given to us, God, for the great resources you've placed in my hand, God. I pray that I would use it. As you've called me to, God, as I've sought and prayed you, prayed to you, God, and worked out my salvation, made my calling and election sure, God, that I've done it, and I know that I'm doing with what you've given to me, God. I pray today that we leave this place, God, not under, not under condemnation for that. That doesn't come from you. That's not we were, what we were here to do today, and devil, we won't let you do that to us. But we leave here today with a conviction that, hey, we can help out a little bit somewhere. We may be able to help out greatly somewhere, and that this church will be a great voice in our community, in our city, in our state, and in the world, God that we can do it from right here, that we could be part of something that wants to go on uh, globally that's huge. It's far greater than what we have. God, help us with the areas that we fall short in and let us just learn to surrender to you humbly, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You're dismissed.